Grace Fellowship is not a perfect church. Somebody say amen. Because <laughs> otherwise we couldn't be here, right? Grace Fellowship is not a perfect church. We have weaknesses as a church. We, have, we face challenges as a church. We have numerous shortcomings as a church. Um, we're an imperfect church made up of imperfect people, led by an imperfect pastor, an imperfect staff, an imperfect group of elders. And in all of that imperfection, there is an incredible opportunity for our perfect God to show his amazing grace. That's what it is to be a part of this church. Although we are imperfect in all those ways, we are also an amazing testimony to the power of our perfect God. I have been a part of this church for 34 years. And it has been an incredible privilege to stand back and watch God do God's stuff. It has been amazing to see the way that he has done that. And even as we just took vows together, and one of the things we promised each other is we said, we're going to pray for each other. We're going to love each other. We're going to consider one another as more important than ourselves. And we're going to strive to unity together as a congregation. And I'm blown away when I sit and look back on three and a half decades of my time at Grace Fellowship, and, and I see God has been doing something that is almost unheard of. In those 34 years that I have been here, I have never once witnessed a serious church conflict. Do you understand how unusual that is? You know how bizarre that is? Like for, for local congregation to not at any point just be at odds with each other, to not have any stories about church splits and people who are no longer welcome and all that kind of stuff, but to see that people in this church have taken seriously this vow to say we're going to love each other, we're going to consider each other more important than ourselves, and we're going to strive for unity together. It doesn't mean that we all agree on every little thing. It doesn't mean that we have every um, doctrinal idea exactly the same. It doesn't mean that all our personalities are the same. It doesn't mean that every person in this church is close to every other person in this church. But somehow, by the Spirit of God, He has worked a work in our midst. And, and I'm just blown away to have watched it happen where he has protected that kind of unity. There is no way to explain that apart from the grace of God. And I was, uh, as I was reading in 1 Peter this week, I was reminded of some of the ways that God has shown himself strong in our midst and what it will take for this church to remain a healthy congregation, what it will take for this church to continue to be a light to our community and beyond, what it will take for us to actually do this thing that we're always talking about where we weave our lives together and do life together, that it's more than just sitting in rows together on Sunday morning singing songs and listening to some bald guy yammer on, that it's more than that. That, that we're actually living our lives together, that God is putting us together, and that together he's able to do things through us that could never happen through just any one of us individually. It's an incredible blessing to see that. If we're going to remain healthy in that way, um, there's some stuff in 1 Peter that's going to help us with that. Remember, 1 Peter 1, which we covered over the last month, 1 Peter 1 is pretty much devoted 
to explaining the fact that when a person comes to Christ, he or she is born again. By the way, this is your hint to start turning to 1 Peter. We're going to be there in a second. We, we've seen in 1 Peter 1 that uh, when we're in Christ, we're born again, that that's not just a reformation, that that is a transformation, right? And, and we've heard about this idea of Jesus as our living hope, that we live together, we walk together, we experience life together with him as our good shepherd, him as our leader. He's our living hope. And that when you have been born again, and when you have received that new life, it's marked by transformation. And we keep going back and using that illustration of a caterpillar that becomes a butterfly. And there's no way to explain that. It just happens because God does it. And and that caterpillar was not created to spend its entire life crawling in the dust, but it was made to fly. And God does a work in that chrysalis to turn that that, uh, caterpillar into a butterfly. And in the same way, that's what it is for us to be born again spiritually. We begin to actually receive wings we begin to actually have the opportunity to experience life abundantly the way God created it. And as we receive new members today, and we made a covenant together to love one another, to pray for one another, to serve one another, consider one another as more important than ourselves, it becomes obvious that that new birth that is offered to us in Christ um, is actually life-changing. It impacts the way we're called to do life together as Christians. And we saw last week that our new life in Christ is most evident in the way that we love one another. And once you've tasted of the kingdom of God, his life shows up in your life. The evidence is found both in what you do as a new believer and in what you no longer do. Your life begins to change. And so this week with our limited time, I just want to cover three verses at the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 2. So hopefully you found your way to 1 Peter. It's at the back of your Bible. We're actually going to be bouncing from some verses, most of which are located in the back of your Bible. So just uh, open to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me just read the first three verses to you. Therefore, now again, the word therefore always repeats pushes us back to what came before. And what came before is what I just summarized for you. We've been born again. We have a new life. There's transformation that takes place. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of of the Lord. The local church is meant to be something of a precursor to heaven. It's it's a preview of the kingdom of God. It's marked by what he says here, a taste of the kindness of the Lord. Um, (laughs) A couple years ago, I lost a whole bunch of weight over the course of like six months. And since then, it's just been this ongoing battle to just try to, to keep from ballooning back up, right? And, and so I'm always paying attention to carbs. Got to cut those carbs. Got to cut those carbs. Got to cut those carbs. Here's the problem. Everything good is made out of carbs, <laughs> right? Except for bacon. You get all the bacon you want, right? But, but 
So, so I discovered this restaurant that is the coolest idea in Orange County this week, and it is a completely keto restaurant. So everything is made by this special chef in a way that uh, keeps the carbs low and the protein high and all that kind of stuff so that um, I can try to keep my weight under control. And so I'm talking to the guy who owns the place, the chef, and I'm asking him, and he's like, yeah, we got this great cheeseburger on a great bun. I'm like, wait a minute. Buns are filled with carbs. He goes, not these buns. And he tells me about how they make their buns and why they're not filled with carbs. And, and so he said, I'm like, all right, I'm going to try the burger. So I, I order the burger and he goes, you know, if you're going to have a burger, you got to have chips, right? I'm like, well, I know you can't have chips. Those are filled with carbs. I know that for sure. He goes, not these chips. And he, he takes this bag of chips and shows it to me. And, um, and I go, well, what is it made of? He goes, jicama. And then there's these other ones, they're green. They're made of cucumbers. <laughs> to which I said, no thank you. <laughs> I, I don't want any jicama and cucumber chips. Thank you very much. Like, allow me to maintain some of my dignity here, will you? <laughs> he goes, you got to trust me on this. You got to trust me. I go, I don't trust you. I don't want to eat those things. He goes, no, no, trust me. And he, he takes the tongs and he reaches into the bag and he pulls out one of the chips and goes, eat it. I got, I don't want to eat it. He goes, yes, you do. Come on, eat it. I take this thing, pop it in my mouth and it's delicious. And I'm like, and he goes, now try one of the green ones. He gives me one of the green ones. And I'm like, listen, I don't know much, but I know if chips are green, you shouldn't eat them. <laughs> <laughs> right? If it's green, stay away from it. That's, been, that's got me to this point. So um, she gives me this, and I eat it, and it's terrific. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. How much are these chips? He's like, they're like six bucks for a three-ounce bag. I go, okay. Well, God bless you. You keep those chips. <laughs> but here's the thing. Um, I didn't even want to taste them. I didn't even want to know. Like, I had made up my mind in advance, this is not going to be okay. And it wasn't until I tasted that I saw it was actually really good. And I was blown away. I wasn't interested in even trying it until I tasted it. And for a lot of people, that's their experience with Christianity. They, they, they've seen it, they heard about it, they're like, I, I, I've made up my mind about this. I don't have any interest in trying this. I, I know what this is, and I don't like it. And in their mind, when they think of Christianity, they think it's a, it's a set of rules, it's a set of stuffy religious traditions, it's um, a, a, a list of activities you're no longer able to do, it's a... a, a, a um, uh, quarantine on fun, no humor, nothing like that. If it's fun, you can't do it. That's what Christianity is, right? That's what a lot of people believe. But God has designed it so that they can get a taste of the Lord. And the way they get that taste is through us. That's how. People, people who don't know they should have an interest, 
meet a Christian and see what God is doing in your life and watch how God is changing your life. They see your joy. They see your hope. They see your peace. They see your optimism. They see that God has given you purpose again. And they're like, wow, that actually does interest me. I didn't know that's what Christianity was because they have judged what they think is Christianity and haven't even bumped into Christ. But we as Christians get to be that taste that they can see that the Lord is good. So Peter is giving us here this little glimpse of what the church is and what the church is not. When you come to Christ, the transformation in your life begins, and it's a process, right? Can anybody say amen to that? It's not like I, I pray, Lord, please come into my life, and I stand up, and all of a sudden, uh, my fa- finances are fixed, my marriage is fixed, my hip doesn't hurt anymore, and all that kind of stuff. That's not how it works. There is a process that takes place where as you expose yourself to the Lord, He begins to work in your life, and He does a transformational process that for me has been going on now for over 40 years, and it's still in progress. That's what he does. But, but listen, um, when you come to Christ, that transformation happens. But to fully experience the life of Christ, there are just simply some things that no longer fit the life of a Christian. <clears throat> there, there are things that we need to put off. The, the, uh, some of them are mentioned there in verse 1. Go back to chapter 2, verse 1. He says, therefore, putting aside or putting off all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. We have to put those things off. It's not by accident that a church goes on for decades without major conflict. We can't explain that apart from the work of God. It's because of the transformational work that happens in our hearts that then works its way out into our lives as we submit to the Lordship of Christ. And as we saw last week, that transformation works its way out in the way that we live. God calls us to love one another. But let's be honest, some people are stinking hard to love right? Yeah. Amen. I was looking at you when I said that, Dave. I, so, so, some people are just hard to love, right? There, there are some people um, that just know how to push every single one of your buttons. Isn't that true? Don't look at anybody right now, but that, that's true. And, and you know what, guys? It takes a determined act of the will to keep from reacting to all of that button pushing. In order to give people a taste of Jesus, there are some things we need to stop doing and other things we need to choose to start doing. Look again at verse 1. Putting aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. And I don't have time to preach on each of those issues, but let's just go through the list real quick and certainly not an exhaustive list of things we need to put off Deceit, hypocrisy, malice, envy, slander. Malice. What is malice? It's wishing someone harm. It's a, it's, a, it's a place in my heart that I say, I want you to struggle. I want you to suffer. I want to get even with you. I want you to have a hard time. 
I've had this experience, have had it numerous times of malice in my heart while driving on the 210 freeway. I don't, I don't know his name. I don't know his family. I don't know anything about him. I just know he drives a blue Camry and I want him to suffer. That's what I know, right? Is that, that's malice. And we say that in a joking way, but, but there are some people, the, the guy who lives next door to us, we can't even look at him without getting angry. There, there are some people, the guy who lives in our house that we can't look at without getting angry. There are some people in our past that we haven't seen in decades, and every time we have a memory about them, we clench our jaw, and we want them to get what's coming to them. That's malice. And then he says deceit. We have to put deceit away from us. Deceit is anything that is uh, taking someone away from the truth. It's misleading information. It's exaggeration. It's withholding information. And I just want to mention this about deceit. God says we're supposed to put it away from us. And it's helpful for me to mention that to you, Christian, because it's tax season. (laughs) The guy clapping has four kids to write off. That's why. (laughs) But when it comes time to fill out those tax forms, he's going to think, I wonder if they notice if I put five. That's deceit, right? And so we have, to be, we have to put that away from us. It shouldn't be named among us as Christians. And that leads us to the big one, which is hypocrisy. And we talk about this all the time, but whenever these polls are done, the number one reason that unchurched people give for not being interested in Christianity or becoming a part of the church, the number one reason is that all those people are hypocrites, hypocrites to which we should always say, come on, what's one more? right? But the truth of the matter is hypocrisy is a problem and it's hurting our witness. God says, put it away from you. Envy, resenting someone for having what you wish you had. Slander, dragging somebody's name through the mud. And man, we have learned how to do that in very Christian ways, haven't we? Well, listen, I wouldn't say, except I know you'd like to pray for her. Let me tell you, right? And we drag people's name through the mud. Obviously, we look at a list like this, and and we know what these things are, and we know this is not a complete list of all the things that we need to put off, but he's trying to say, listen, guys, these things that are normal in the lives of people who are not walking with Jesus should not be normal in our lives. They need to be put away from us. Listen carefully, Grace Fellowship. Listen carefully, Christians everywhere. If we expect to experience the love of God in our midst, if we ever hope to be seen as the light of the world in a world that is caught up in darkness, we have to decide that things like this will have no place in our lives. There are some things we have to put off, and there are other things we have to put on. As I told you a couple years ago, I lost a lot of weight fast, and that was really fantastic. I loved everything about it, except the fact that I had to buy an entirely new wardrobe all at once. I I went from, you know, 
pants that are this big to pants that are only this big, right? And all of a sudden, there's no way I can do this. And I lost the weight so fast that I, I didn't have time to just gradually do this. It was like hundreds and hundreds of dollars being spent just replacing clothes. The only thing I didn't change was my shoe size, maybe my hat size. That was about it. And so here's the thing. I love some of those old clothes. And they had always been so comfortable. But then you put them on and they don't fit anymore. Guys, as Christians, that's exactly what happens to our old way of life. We're comfortable with it. We're used to it. Then we return to it and we go, oh, wait a second. This doesn't fit anymore. This just, this doesn't, this doesn't fulfill anymore. This doesn't excite anymore. This doesn't thrill anymore. When you're born again, the old things just don't fit anymore, and you literally have to toss them out. And this is a theme throughout the, the New Testament. There's some things that have to be put off and other things that have to be put on. If you're in First Peter, you're going to turn a little bit to the left and find the book of Ephesians. Right after Galatians, you find Ephesians. I don't know, it's maybe 40 pages to the left in my Bible. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. I just want to read you these verses real quick. In Ephesians 4, the, the final two verses, verses 31 and 32, it says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. It's a very similar list, isn't it? And then verse 32 says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. If you're a person who treats your Bible like a textbook, the way I do, here's what I say. Write in the margin, verse 31, put off. Verse 32, put on. Put off bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Put on kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness. And before we object and say, wait a second, how am I supposed to forgive? He doesn't deserve my forgiveness. He says, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you, how much do you deserve God's forgiveness? So he's telling us as Christians, these are things we're empowered to do now because the Holy Spirit lives within us. We no longer have to walk around in those ill-fitting clothes. We can now put on the new clothes of Christ and we can walk differently. If you're in Ephesians, just go, I don't know, five pages to the right, you're going to come to the book of Colossians. It goes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Paul talks about this with the people of Colossae also. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Therefore... Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You see the theme? Put off the old ways, put on 
the new ways. And don't get confused here. This is not how you earn favor with God. You can't earn favor with God. It all comes by grace. We're talking about what happens after the grace of God has been poured into your life and you've come into a personal relationship with Jesus. And he goes, and now I'm going to bless you with the power to choose not to wear the old way of life and instead to put on the new way of life. In fact, um, move over to the book of James. It's back toward 1 Peter. Right after Hebrews, you find James. Go to James chapter 1, verse 21 says this. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So it's not just that there's stuff to put off. There's something also to put on, he says, and it's able to save your souls. What is it? Go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of what? The word. Long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation. I love this word picture. Have you ever heard a hungry baby crying? Of course you have. Uh, are they easy to calm down? Yes, give them food, right? But if you have a hungry baby crying, do they care that it's two o'clock in the morning and you have to get up early for work the next day? No, they want some food. Do they care that this uh, formula is hard to find and it costs a fortune and you have to go to three stores just to get a can of the right kind of formula? Do they ask you about that? No, they want some food. Everything when a child is crying out of hunger, the only thing they want is food. There's only one thing that will satisfy. He wants some milk and he wants it now. And Peter says that's how we should long for this book. We should long for the word of God the way an infant longs for milk. And Peter says that's how we should long for God's word. You see, it can't just be sheer willpower that causes us to undergo this transformation. It takes something stronger than that. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews just a little bit to the left of where we're at. In Hebrews chapter 4. And this is a familiar verse. Many of you have heard it before. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God, speaking of the Bible, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And guys, honestly, if we're telling ourselves the truth, some of us will admit that's why we don't get close to the Word of God. It judges our hearts, and we don't like what we see. We maybe don't want to make changes, and God's Word just beats us over the head. It goes, make changes, make changes. I'm trying to change. I'm trying to give you life uh, everlasting. I'm trying to give you life abundant. Trust me. And God's Word convicts our heart. It says that that it's living and active. And some of you have been walking with Jesus for a while. You know exactly what we're talking about. That, that you, can, you can pick up a passage of scripture that you've read 50 times, but today God shows you something entirely new and it touches your heart in an entirely new way. That doesn't happen if this gathers dust on your shelf. 
That doesn't happen if this book sits in your car all week so that you'll always remember to have it when you get here on Sunday mornings. Guys, let me just tell you, and I hope you don't mind me kicking you a little bit in the shins here this morning, but I'm going to tell you this. You know, when it comes to hungering for spiritual food, one meal a week is not enough. And, and some of us as Christians have just become comfortable with the idea that on Sundays, I'm going to go to a place and someone is going to spoon feed me and I'm going to eat. And you think that somehow by one time a week getting spoon fed from the word of God, you're going to become a healthy and vibrant and experience the abundant life. You're kidding yourself. He says we have to long for the milk of the word of God. It's an incredible Word picture for us in Psalm 119, and we don't have time to look this up. In Psalm 119, you can write this down in your notes, verses 9 through 16. It talks about, um, I've hidden the word of God in my heart so that I will not sin against God. It's that exposure, it's that, that meditation, that bathing in the word of God, exposing myself to the truths of scripture, it literally changes the way I live from day to day. Guys, I'm not talking about building up your knowledge base. The scripture says knowledge puffs up. God's always trying to get us to puff down. Stop being so proud. Be more humble. Go to God. It's not just about knowledge. Knowledge is a good thing. It's a gift from God. But only when it's applied in your life and lived out. That's what he's trying to do with his word. If you're constantly exposed, say, to somebody with COVID, guess what? You're going to get COVID. If you, if you were, if you were so working in a nuclear power plant where you find out you've been constantly exposed to a radi- radioactive leak, guess what? You're going to get radiation poisoning. And if you're constantly exposed to the word of God, guess what? You're going to become more and more like Christ. That's what happens. That's why all we preach at Grace Fellowship is the Bible. That's what you're not going to, you're not ever going to come and, and have some guy up here who, who's going to say, you know, I just wrote this new book. Let me preach from my book. You're not going to have somebody who's going to go, hey, there's these new psychological ideas that are floating around in, on the college campuses. Let me tell you about that. Guys, listen. People say, man, you preach every week for all these years. How do you have new stuff to say? Because I have this as my source. It's only the word of God. Listen, I'm going to tell you straight up. It doesn't matter what I think. And with all due respect, it doesn't really matter what you think either. It matters what God thinks. And he's told us what he thinks in his word. And so that's why we preach the word at Grace Fellowship. That's why when your kids go out that door and into that room, yes, they're going to have fun. They're going to sing songs and make a craft and do all that kind of stuff, all with one thing in mind, to get the word of God implanted into their lives so they can experience the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we do. And that's why God has kept this church healthy. And to the degree that we continue to do that, we can expect him to continue to feed us. And when we stop feeding on the word of God, we're going to become weak and feeble and begin to faint. That's what happens. God has blessed us with salvation. He's blessed us with a wonderful church family. How do we maintain those blessings and increase our spiritual health by choosing to put off unhealthy appetites that feed just the flesh and instead by feasting on the word of God. My prayer 
is that Grace Fellowship will continue to stand as an example of the way that God can transform lives. And that begins not with somebody else. It begins with you and me. Do not be conformed to this world, it says in Romans 12 too, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A church full of transformed people is a tool in the hands of an almighty God to change the world and bring the saving gospel of Christ to everyone who needs it. That's what he's invited us to be a part of, and that's what we're going to continue to pursue. Let me invite you to stand. I want to pray for you. Lord, in this congregation, may we always stand as a people who reflects your glory. Help us, God, because it is so easy to make it about ourselves. It's so easy to make it about chasing the things that, that feed the flesh. But help us to be people who find our fulfillment in you and you alone. Thank you for the words of that song, in Christ alone I stand. God, may we stand firmly through the doubts, through the storms, through the challenges of life. May we stand firmly because you are God and you're living out your power through us. I pray your blessing, your guidance, and your life-changing power upon each and every one of these people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.